Hi, and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. This is a marketing podcast like you haven't heard before. It's about real connections and honest conversations. Why am I here? To remind you that you can fly. If you're brave enough to listen to that calling inside you, I'm here to serve you and show you that marketing can and should be honest, that the truth sells and authenticity wins. So how can businesses and brands build a real and authentic audience? The Authentic Audience Podcast gives you insight into growing your business and marketing strategies to gain real followers and loyal customers. Each week, I create a space of radical honesty for thought leaders and entrepreneurs who have built successful businesses to share their insights on business, marketing, relationships, life, and spirituality. Each episode is sure to remind you the power of storytelling and truth selling. Get ready to get real, get raw, get honest, and keep growing. Jake and Corey Oreck are friendly Minnesotans who have lived and worked abroad in Southeast Asia, primarily Vietnam, since 2006. In 2011, Jake launched Ethnotech, a socially responsible laptop and travel bag company that features ethically sourced handmade textiles from their 200 partnering artisans in Ghana, Guatemala, India, Indonesia, and Vietnam. Corey joined the company full-time in 2016, and the couple have been running the business remotely between Bali, Indonesia, and Vietnam ever since. I met these guys. We'll talk all about how we met, um, but obviously after listening to that intro, everybody knows why they're here. I'm so, so, so excited to have you guys. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having <laughs> us. We're super excited. I'm so excited. Wi-Fi is working. They're coming to me from Bali. Um, so hopefully, fingers crossed, all goes well. But let's just start. It's been a minute since I connected with you guys. So we're going to start, as I always start, by just what's happening uh, in your world? What's going on over there? Um. Well, <laughs> well, it's happening in everybody's world, obviously, but um, we have been hunkered down here in Bali for about 75 days now. But who's um, counting? We actually, yeah, exactly. No one's <laughs> counting, but I am counting. Um, I count every few, every like couple of weeks and it always blows my mind because I haven't been counting. So then I'm like, oh, wait, what? Um. But uh, I guess back in early February, we were out in Vietnam with the production team and they had already shut down for COVID and everything. So we luckily were there to, you know, wrap things up and know that something was coming a little ahead of the curve and then um, got back here at the start of March and have been just doing our best the last few months, um, like kind of managing the whole system from abroad and making sure like the US warehouse is okay. Luckily all of our artisans usually work from home. So checking in on them and making sure everybody's okay. And we got lucky enough to work with um, the production team and shut down the factory for about a month to make sure everybody there was fine through the month of April. So um, just staying, staying positive as we can and creative. And I mean, Jake, this is a time where Jake's thriving and this is a time where I'm not so thriving, um, which I know a lot of people are facing that same seesaw and back and forth, but yeah, just, just hanging in there. I mean, we just got our sunshine today after a couple of weeks of rain, which is really helpful. 
Yeah, I know Clay and I are having a similar experience. Um, Clay is thriving uh, as an introvert and I am like scratching at the door to get out um, and driving him totally crazy. And uh, like Clay and I, you guys also work together. So maybe we can talk or touch on that a little bit. Um, but first, uh, we actually are friends. We know each other. And this is fun for me because uh, I love meeting people for the first time on the podcast, but I also love getting to connect with people I already know and love. And um, we've met in person. Do you, should I tell the story of how we've met? Do you guys remember how we met? I just got like nervous goosebumps on how excited I was thinking about like I just was stumbling through photos of last summer too and was thinking about the whole thing but you should you should do it from your perspective so we can hear it yeah well, we actually met on Trevor and Emery's floor. <laughs> it was after Red Rocks and we were staying with them and they said, oh, we're going to have this couple over. They're super cool. Uh, they're the ethnotech guys. And I, of course, had seen their bags, very jealous of their bags and they're just the coolest design. And Emery, of course, is super passionate about the work you do. So she had shared your story with me and we ended up uh, just sitting after Red Rocks um, so many people want to stop through and say hi. Um, so it was sort of just this revolving door and Clay and I were pretty whooped sitting on the floor and in walked you beautiful people. And I think we ended up talking for like two to three hours, just about business, marketing, uh, life, working with your spouse, all of the things. And it was just the most beautiful connection. And we've kept in touch uh, since then and we've done some work together and just supported each other from afar. And it's a really beautiful friendship. And I'm just so grateful to know you guys. I agree. I think it's such a cool, um, like little big universe that mm -hmm. exists out of, out of all of this, like listening to previous episodes, hearing how many people are tied and strained together through, through Emory, but For sure. <laughs> um, through like music in general, because like, you know, Shay and Nako and Trevor and all these people kind of like slowly trickled in through all these different avenues. And then like years later, someone will see like my Nako shirt on a video we do and they're like, oh my God, I know someone and someone. And it's like this cool, huge friendship that everybody's immediately friends with each other. It's just like that lovely. And then we just give them all bags. <laughs> and, then just, and then we just gush on them and we're like, have our thing. Do you want a backpack? What do you want? What size is your laptop? <laughs> It's the best. And I think that's so true. It's such like a soul family. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've been spending, I've gotten to spend some time with Shay and finally got to meet Nako recently, of course, over FaceTime or Zoom. Um, Deborah is a big uh, weaver in that too. Uh, Deborah Silverman, who does astrology, she's a big part, a uh, big connector. And um, everybody, it's just, it's very incestual. And I actually love that. Um, I love how connected we all are. And um, yeah, it's just, I'm so, I feel so grateful that I ended up somehow a part of this tribe and, and it's really fun because we all do different things. Like you guys have the, you know, you have ethnotech, of course, Emery's an artist, Trevor's an artist. We have athletes, we have, um, musicians, we have actresses, we have astrologers, and it's just, everybody has their own sort of specialty that they bring to the table. And it's really, really fun. So I'd love to dive in though, because I'm a huge fan of Ethnotech and I want to introduce uh, our audience to you. Um, Ethnotech is just 
oh, I'm just so, so, so excited about this. So why don't we just dive in? How did you get started? What is Ethnotech? What's your mission? Uh, all the things. Yeah, for sure. So um, you did a good job of uh, explaining kind of the, the short uh, uh, story of, of, of who we are. Um, but just really quickly how it got started is, um, so uh, Corey and I both moved to Vietnam from Minnesota, but we were in separate places. So we were just kind of freshly dating um, at the time. She was, she was in Tanzania. Um, do you wanna talk about what you did in Tanzania? I was there for two months um, doing HIV AIDS prevention education and then um, web design, building a website for a, a school out there. Yeah, and at, at that same time, I was uh, working at 3M Corporation designing. Uh, Which was awesome to see <laughs> this man in a suit with shoes that clicked when he walked. Like, yeah, I can't even totally believe not, that that is. Totally existed. not me, but, you know, got to get some experience <laughs> under the belt. Uh, so, and then uh, was just kind of desperately looking for a, a, another job that was more more me and saw a internship for a bag designer in Vietnam and I had studied abroad in Southeast Asia for a while so I kind of knew what I was getting into so quit the job uh, moved to Vietnam for that and uh, just told Corey about it and said you know if you want to come come but I'm I'm definitely going and um, so took that internship and then you know I think probably a month after being there you came and joined. Uh, yeah, I was in the middle there. of my my trip in Arusha, and um, I had like a week between arriving home from Africa to like see all my family, check in with everybody, pack up all my shit, and meet Jake out in Vietnam. And I, I it was funny because I didn't even know what I was gonna do with myself, but I was twenty two and felt madly in love with Tanzania and was actually just thinking myself, how can I make this my I life? Thought you were, I thought you were going to say madly in love with Jake. <laughs> well, I well, that too. <laughs> I mean, well, we were two, we were two years into dating and like it was, we, we've always, we went to different universities and we've always had kind of a distance relationship and it's been like the strongest, most beautiful relationship. And like when, when he asked it, it was no question. Like, of course I would join on this mm -hmm. adventure. Luckily, I'm the kind of person who, um, I just like to learn. I'll just make do with wherever we go. So luckily I just went there and just figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and you took quite a risk because that was a, you know, his first ever 401k job with good salary, salary with and all these things. And he, dropped it for a $500 a month internship in Vietnam. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, his family yeah. was a bit nervous about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but went for it and um, yeah, just had to learn how to design bags because I didn't learn that at university. So that was a good a good learning experience. And uh, to be fully honest, like I don't think I've told you this, but what Me? better what better time than uh, on a public podcast? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yes. So I had a so I had a I had a like a mission. I was gonna, you know, work this job for like six months to a year. And like my goal, like right out of college, was to design snowboard gear. So I was like, okay, as soon as I can show in my portfolio that I've designed bags, I can, you know, start applying to Dakine and Burton Snowboards and all of that. And so that was my mission. So I don't I honestly don't think if if Corey didn't come to Vietnam, Ethnotech never would have happened because 
because mm-hmm. I, when she came, like we were able to fall deeper in love and then we made a life there. So we decided this feels good. Let's just ride this out. And, you know, three years later, we, you know, in that time, we were able to explore Vietnam and fall in love with Vietnam. And that's how I discovered the idea of her ethnotech was probably our second year living there. Took a solo motorbike trip um, through the Northern Highlands near the border of China. Um, and there's some Hmong communities up there that make this amazing, mind-blowing uh, hand embroidery. And did some homestays and was just kind of... I had never experienced a culture like that because they still wear their traditional costumes and, you know, did some trekking and, you know, being from the suburbs of the U S like I didn't know that type of culture. And so it just completely opened me wide open for, uh, you know, how can I, how can I be a part of this? Like, how can I raise awareness? How can I maybe, maybe even make a company out of it? And so it's the textiles in particular that got me, and since I was designing bags at the time, I was like, nothing out there exists that I've seen um, combining these traditional cultural uh, handmade textiles with high tech bags, like laptop bags, waterproof bags. Um, I've only ever seen them on like, you know, fall apart in a week bags in like tourist shops. And so just just jotted it down in my notebook and then tabled it for a few years. And um, after we uh we're done in vietnam we moved to switzerland uh, with the same company and then uh, eventually to la for another bag design company um and it's when we were in la that um i decided to actually pursue it so it was just moonlighting a little pin in there because that little that little by the by we were in switzerland then we were in la like we got married in Switzerland and then in LA we lived for a year and then we split up because I was missing Vietnam. And so I was like this, I can't fit in. I can't make this work. I found this home and this life and I couldn't, I I was running a coffee shop at the time and I loved that. I loved regulars and everything, but I just was missing this huge piece of my heart. And initially we were going to try to make it work where he worked with his company, but worked remotely. So I went first, but when I was gone, we ended up splitting up and it was because I was gone that you actually had that, that drive and motivating factor to kind of like spend some of that time and some of that emotion and, and passion in, in creating. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just wow. poured myself into it hundred percent. You know, I think it was my way of dealing with the emotions. Uh, <laughs> Um, kind of channeling it, deferring it, maybe. Um, a true I, artist, one might. <laughs> yeah. you, you need a little angst in there to like get some good stuff. Going. Um, so yeah, but we spent that whole year communicating uh, online, and then just was working on it nights and weekends, and then you know spent my savings and got some family members to chip in on it to produce the first round of backpacks just wanted to put them online and see how they would go. And uh, a couple weeks later, REI called us up a couple weeks after that urban outfitters. um, We're not with them anymore, but like that was the confidence booster I needed. And uh, so it then was a real thing. And uh, so I wanted to tell my boss at the time just to be fully transparent um, because I didn't want him to find out like some other way, like, because we were getting, we were going to get a lot of press because I was talking to some, some bloggers and things like that. So I didn't want him to find out. Right. Not So I told him on a Friday and I was fired on Monday. 
And so then, uh, yeah, I had to move all the inventory back to, back to Minnesota. And back to mom's house. Back to mom's house, as well as all of our belongings, which weren't much anyways. Um, and that was, that was the time when it's like, okay, you have to be all in on this thing. You've committed. And so uh, just, just went for it and did some trade shows and, you know, it kept growing and growing. So that, that, that was the time when it's like, okay, you got to get back to Vietnam, get close to the production team. Mm-hmm. And uh, Corey we were, was already there. We were, um, cause I had gone home for, I was teaching, I was a teacher in Vietnam and I was teaching at a kindergarten and um, I went, had gone home for a summer um, and had been to California cause I wanted to visit all my friends and I actually, uh, missed my flights and called up Jake and we had been emailing and stuff. And I was like, that's fate. I like got locked out of LAX and Jake's here and I had to have him come pick me up. And we, we were like, all right, like yeah. we do, there, there's nothing there's, but love here. It's, yeah, exactly. it's worth all the hard conversations and everything. And also during that time when we were just friends, um, I was in Vietnam and I was able to drive to this small workshop that he was having his samples being done at. And I was able to do these tiny things because, you know, at the heart of it, even if we didn't get back together, we, I believed in the project with that, like, regardless of what was going to happen with Jake and I. And, um, so luckily Jake was able to take that risk and come move back to Vietnam with me. And I was able to be a sugar mama and have my <laughs> little teacher salary while he, Sat at the um, kitchen table and built built up no tech and yeah and, and you're amazing because we still weren't like committed to being back together in a relationship yeah, you yeah. just are a good person <laughs> and wanted wanted this thing to succeed and of course like you know our spark was turning back into something more and so we just gave it time and I was just kind of at the factory with her for three months and then another three months in the U S doing trade shows or whatever else uh, you know filling orders out of mom's basement. And then kind of off and on for, I guess, a full year back in 2012. And then we were like, we got to do this. We're back together. Um, so I moved there full time and then was there for the remaining, you know, few years of the startup. And just just only two or three years ago, we moved to Bali, but we still go back there uh, every every quarter. Now, not so much um, because of travel restrictions. We were but- just there, though. Like- yeah. Two months ago. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're kind of doing the on off thing together and now she's, she's with the company. So, um, I do give her credit for, uh, creating a life that, uh, was able to nurture this business. And also now that she's in it, it's becoming way better, way more organized. <laughs> um, and so she was there from the beginning and now it, it is here now and it's now just really, really taking off, which is crazy to say after, you know, being eight years in business. Right. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy journey and. Oh, I love this story so much. And I didn't know you guys spent a year apart and Clay and I did as well. I don't know if you guys know that, but um, we broke up for a year um, too. And it's so funny. I was just texting a friend earlier today about it. And actually he was like, I can't believe you guys broke up for a year. And I'm like, it's actually why we're together. Clay would say, um, that year we spent apart is the, the year that sort of, um, yeah, I think time apart isn't always a bad thing. And, um, for us, it's a huge, huge, huge part of our story. So I'm so glad, uh, Corey, you jumped in there with that key fact of information <laughs> that Jake just skipped right over. Um, yeah. 
just brush that right under the rug. Like, yeah, but it's such a beautiful story. And it's like, obviously people listening know exactly why you're on this podcast now, because it's so authentic. It's so true. And, and meeting the two of them, it's just like this, you know, energy, it's really contagious as you could hear in their story. And you know, they take turns speaking and, um, I've had a chance to sort of dive in with them more and into their business. And it's just such a beautiful partnership and, uh, such a beautiful mission and company. So, um, let's talk a little bit more about the mission. Um, I also wanted to talk, Corey, you left a note here for me about blue ocean strategy and I love that book. So I want to talk about that. Um, but a little bit more about the mission because you are a, um, you know, socially good, all of these things, ethically sustainable, you know, words, words, words. But what does that mean for you guys? Uh, what kind of hoops have you had to jump through? And what is the sort of uh, mission or, you know, mission statement or like why, you know, what is the why behind Ethnotech? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the why behind <clears throat> Ethnotech is, uh, kind of twofold, but it all, it all comes down to handmade textiles and the culture and the history that's literally air quotes woven into them mm -hmm. um, because it's one of the oldest art forms on this planet. And, you know, just about every community has their own type of textile and just this, you know, the way that our society has evolved is that, you know, they're, they might disappear someday if, if people don't take action. And there's a lot of amazing people out there that you interview too, that are taking action on it. So uh, we share that mission and it's to, to keep that alive and to, to help bring demand to those places, restore demand to those places um, and also make them available to people in an accessible way. So I think that it's important not to put them on a museum wall or on a handbag that costs a thousand bucks, I think it's 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 something that should be carried with you um, at you know a reasonable price. So, um, and I think that that's a way to make it a little more sustainable. And so, and this is not you know uh, the white canon of we helping those poor defenseless people. Um, it's about finding uh, others with the same mission. Um, and mm -hmm. so, I love that. Uh, in the beginning, like I was definitely naive because I was thinking from that perspective, like how, how can I help? You know, I, I had a very charitable mindset at that time. It's like, I, I, you know, I bought a plane ticket, went to the villages, like, what do you need? Do you need to buy food, buy, you know, Hopefully. you can build a feeding facility, you know, a school. What do you need? And they're like, settle down, young grasshopper. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you so much for your enthusiasm, but really, honestly, the, the, the one way you can help us most is by the things we make. And we will distribute the wealth in, throughout our community the way that we know how best. And so to me, that was easy because there's a language I already spoke being a bag designer for, I guess, five or six years at that point. So I was like, okay, cool. This is a trade relationship. This is way easier to manage, but also it's more sustainable long-term. So it's not charity. It's not job creation. It's simply, uh, you know, a buy sell agreement and, uh, they become our business partners and that's and how we see it in, yeah. the, in the long run. Like these are we work with five countries and, and with each place there, they've all been, I mean, I think we've been in, in partnership with them for at least, 
I'd say five years is the minimum for some of them. And they're, they're our friends. Like we know about their families. We exactly we and get that's, calls. And, and that's, that, and that's like the main priority. It's mm-hmm. like, so since, since the like model of working together is so simple, it's all about building, establishing and keeping trust and good faith and, you know, getting to know each other. And, uh, you know, when, when they've been interviewed, they, they, they don't say ethnotech, they say Jake and Corey <laughs> when they talk about <laughs> when they talk about what we're doing, cause it is personal. And so, um, so there's that, but also, um, like my mission is, you know, from the beginning, not to have it be, uh, this, you know, real small scale bespoke thing. Um, I want to do it at scale because I feel that that's the most effective way. And the artisans want that too. You know, they don't want to create like a meter or two a month. They want to create more and they want to build more looms to get people rallied around it because they want, to keep their culture alive too. They want to, you know, keep these traditions going and they enjoy it and they want to teach it to the younger generations. And so uh, commerce is kind of the number one way to do it. And I think small business has that ability to make that impact a lot faster. Um, So I think that, you know, that dictates how the products are designed and the kind of lines we put on them, all of it, like it has, it, it comes from that, mindset of uh, okay we're a community we're protecting something we're working together and it needs to be at scale and so we we want to make this thing long lasting so that has to be built into everything from the price point to the marketing to uh to what clips we use so one of the things that was really strong for me is the educational aspect because um watching these things throughout the years like even before i joined the company watching you know, the each community and learning from all the elders was beautiful and awe-inspiring, but then seeing that the youth were, you know, taking buses and trains and, um, you know, any mode of transport they can get to faraway cities and villages for them to get work and have no interest in, in continuing it because that there wasn't a demand. So learning how to build and create that demand then going into seeing educational facilities churn up in these communities has been the coolest thing. Like we visited India and if you could say a little bit about India, we we went back just a few years ago and were able to see that actual um, facility having been built since we started. That's, that's Um, a, that's a key point to make because um, like our job, we don't, we don't create, this demand. We don't delegate work. We don't, you know, uh, we, we aren't the people on the ground that create the magic. It's, it's all about like, my job is finding the right people. So it's all about finding community leaders and the elders like Corey mentioned. So in India, um, there's a man named Shamji and he comes from the Bankar Weaver society. His father has been a figurehead in their, in their village in Bujodi and Gujarat. They're award-winning. Yeah, they're award-winning and educated abroad and, you know, chose to come back and stay and keep keep their craft alive, um, keep it as traditional as possible with this, the same shared mission. Um, and they have always been open to uh, evolving the craft a little bit to to appeal to a wider audience. He speaks at design universities to talk about their techniques And um, so when I met him and he explained kind of everything that he has going on, I was like, okay, this is perfect. And so it's all about getting behind the right people and getting out of the way. So helping elevate their art, 
and, you know, learning their process, not saying you got to fit to these lead times. We have this delivery date. Mm. It happened. We, we say, okay, what, how do you, how does your operation work? And we'll work around that. And so, um, so, so it's about finding those community leaders. And in each, each country we have one or two people that are the ones that are, you know, really making it all happen. And so, um, and, and sometimes we have facilitators. So there'll be someone like Shamji, for example, who works with the artisans and speaks the artisan language. And then we have a facilitator named Pankaj who speaks both languages, artisan and business. So he's the mm. one I communicate to mostly. Um, but Shamji is on all of the WhatsApp messages and emails and all of that. So it does sometimes help to have kind of a go-between on the ground as well. Um, I think that's a really important point um, right there. Well, you've made so many important points, but uh, that point of having the person that's sort of on the ground in charge be speaking the language, understanding the culture, all of that. It's not like you coming in trying to, you know, control operations. Yeah. That's yeah. really amazing. The other thing you that you mentioned early on that I just wanted to come back to for a second is, um, you know, I think we all sort of have that naive uh, experience when we have the fortune to go into or the privilege or luck or whatever you call it um, to go into some of these um, ancient, culturally, just like totally diverse and beautiful uh, villages. And I remember, um, getting to this village in Nepal thinking the same thing. Like, I just want to help, right? Like, what can I do? Who can I support? How can I just give money? Who can I give my money to? Like, this is, uh, feeling that. And then, um, wanting to bring gifts even for certain people in the village. And then my Nepali brother was like, you can't do that. There's like a whole dynamic within the community. It's a whole culture. Like you can't just come in and disrupt that. Like they have an equal distribution, you know, so if you bring the money to this AMA, like she'll deliver it to everyone. And there's just such a, um, process, right. And so even though we want to obviously come in and help as much as we can, oftentimes it's, it's doing the, the community a disservice, um, you know, by just like dropping in and dropping back out. So I just think it's so beautiful how you guys have managed to, weave this all together for lack of a better word. Um, let's talk about blue ocean strategy because when I was asking what you guys wanted to talk about, Corey, um, listed that as a bullet point and I also love that book. So I'm just wondering, you know, what piece of that is, is in your mission and in, in your business strategy and, and why you listed that here? Because I, I love that too, but I want to hear from you what role that's played in your business. Yeah, no, and it ties in exactly to what, you were saying so good segue. Um, <laughs> um, so that process, um, respecting that process, and it being different with every every community, is is your leverage, is is your story, and so um, so a couple things. Uh, so like the blue ocean strategy. Um, honestly, I found out about after launching Ethnotech. Um, but the, the kind of the whole purpose that was already in my mind is like, I wanted to create something that didn't exist. Uh, for one, there's no competition and two, because no one else does what you do, you dictate terms. Um, if people want it to be a part of their business retailers and distributors, for example. So, 
I designed a backpack that is customizable. The front pan, the front panel is interchangeable and it's made out of these handmade artisan textiles. So you've got the social mission and you've got the customizability two in one. You've got waterproofness, like high tech, all that. No one was doing that. And to this day there isn't. And so, so it's important to, to look at those aspects of true uniqueness and artisan mission that need to give you the confidence to, to set yourself apart and, uh, you know, give you kind of power in negotiations at trade shows, for example, like there's going to be a lot of retailers and distributors that you're going to meet that have been in the game for 40 plus years. And then they're used to industry standards. So when you tell them, look, you know, this is truly handmade. This one piece takes three months to make. And because of that, we need, you know, 50% deposit up front. It's going to take 150 days to make, not 90. And we're going to need the remaining balance before it ships. That way we can not put the risk on the artisan to finance the materials themselves. We can pay for it for them so they can get started without having any stress on their, on their side. And then we can get things moving. And by the time, you know, it's ready to ship, we get our portion and the factory gets paid and, you know, like we're a small operation. It's the only way this is going to be possible. And so if you want world culture to be a part of your business, if you want this truly unique thing that doesn't exist in the world to be on your shelves, you've got to be flexible with us on these terms. And so you like being different and being true and unique and uh, authentic uh, with with the big picture and communicating the whole process, not just this is special, buy it, here's my terms, by telling them about Shamji, telling them about, you know, the six hour bus ride it takes to get there, like the whole thing, then they can see the big picture. And then you tell them there's going to be marketing videos to help you sell the product about this mission. And then they just get really excited. Like, all right, that's cool. We'll we'll try it. We'll try it. And so that's on a really big point of that is, and it, and it circles back to education. I'm, very much a teacher at heart because I will circle in. <laughs> tell me, tell me more about education. Yeah, so I, I wish I had my glasses on. I like virtually push <laughs> my nerd glasses up, but um, like, I think one of the biggest parts of, of making this real and being within the, the, the blue ocean or being within the, the wide open sea is there's this heavy level of patience like dedication and understanding that we have to have, but also that we have to share with others because we have to teach, like Jake was saying on the selling side with big distributors and with the factory and with the artisans, everybody has to learn a whole new system of working. And then from the end consumer perspective, they have to learn a whole new system of understanding their purchase, but also understanding the uniqueness of it. And like having, we celebrate that each piece, no two pieces are alike because they are handmade. And so it's been really difficult because if someone sees a picture online and they order that bag and they get it and the colors are a little off placed or there's a different patch of a, of a flower patch that's on it, or there's more indigo on this one than there was on the other ones. It's disappointing because they've never seen that before and they find it to be false advertising or, a discrepancy in it and that's when we get to step in and and tell the story and share how you know this is actually Rabari women who have embroidered this for what does it take um 90 
takes about eight weeks per eight panel. Eight weeks like per panel, and each woman makes her own beautiful design, and no, none of those are the, the same. And and you have to like take that leap of faith and just know that what you're buying is going to be beautiful no matter what it is. But I mean, it's 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 a it's a painful process to to do that education. It's hard. It's yeah. It's so important though, I think, and we've talked about this offline, the educational aspect of what you guys are doing. And I think you also, you know, touched on, of course, you have to teach everybody on your end, the system of working, but the consumer, especially, right? Like we're so used to, um, you know, getting things how we want it, when we want it in two day shipping. And I have completely changed. And sadly for me, um, I didn't discover this sooner because I'm such a, you know, I hate to blame it on a astrology Gemini where I want things now and I want it quickly and I want it yesterday. Right. And to change that consumer mindset, it has to be education because now to understand like the wait time or the price or all of these different things that goes into creating these truly unique and beautiful products, I would wait I would rather wait three months to get a ethnotech bag than order something on Amazon, right? And that is purely education. And sadly to say I didn't learn it sooner, it's because of this podcast and it's because of my business that I've gotten to connect with people like you doing this kind of work in the world that have educated me on the right way to be a consumer. So I think that the educational piece is the most important. And I agree, Corey, the most challenging. Um, But I just think that at the end of the day, when you can understand it and when you take the time to educate somebody, that's how you like really get that loyalty and that actual change in the system, right? So I'm just so grateful that you guys are doing what you're doing. The last thing I wanted to say about Blue Ocean Strategy before we move on to my favorite topic, um, which is working with your spouse and mental health, funny that those maybe go hand in hand, (laughs) is uh, around uniqueness. And the last thing that I wanted to say about that is for me, I read that book too. I read it uh, while I was sort of creating the company. And for people who haven't read it, it's a really interesting book for entrepreneurs around mindset, your why, your purpose, all of that kind of stuff. And I have a marketing agency, which is Uh, there's millions, there's millions of us out there. And I think the only point I wanted to add was you can still stand out, be unique, be authentic in your services, in what you offer and how you communicate and tell your story and help people, um, regardless of how many people are doing what you're doing. So I think it's really beautiful that what you guys do is truly unique. And I love everything that you said about that. But I think that it's also important to recognize that you can stand out and create authenticity and new uniqueness, no matter what industry you're in. And I just think you guys have done such a beautiful job at that. So I do want to, I do want to emphasize your point because, and I think it's, I think it's, I think it's urgent actually, because um, especially for ethical brands, because our time is now, you know, there's a lot of, I've been reading heaps of consumer research right now, about like, what is, what, what is a post COVID world and what, what's it going to do to our psychology, uh, consumption habits, trends, et cetera. And, uh, I think there's going to be a huge boom of people looking for sustainable brands, ethical brands. And, you know, our time is now to get our storytelling, right. And for people to rethink and maybe even pivot completely what they're doing, because our, though our artisan missions and our eco-friendly missions and all these things are good, I tell entrepreneurs this a lot is it's probably not enough because 
unless you're really truly different, you're going to have a hard time because the argument's always going to be, so how are you different than ABC companies? And so we have this time now and use it wisely to look at things. It doesn't mean change everything. It could mean just change one thing and make it really big and test it out because there's going to be a wider audience for us now. The niche is growing. And so I think it's, t- it's time for all of us social entrepreneurs to uh, zoom out, have a look under the hood and see what can change and, and, and test it out. So we know what works, what doesn't, but things are going to be different and we can't fully predict them. But what, what is going to always work to our advantage is being truly different. So, okay, I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> mic, mic drop. Um, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. And I just, I think that, um, you know, it's just exciting that there's people like you guys sort of like leading the charge in, in this movement. And I really look to you guys as leaders in the industry and um, the storytelling and the sharing and getting in front of the brand and all these things I think is so important because you're super relatable and it's easy to listen to you talk about it. There's no judgment. There's no anything. It's just, you know, here's how we can do better. So I just appreciate you both so much. Um, let's move into my favorite topic and that's, um, you know, mental health and marriage. And I know Corey and I, we've talked about this um, via Instagram and stuff like that, but um, I'm glad you wrote this down too about something you wanted to, to talk about. So Running a business as a couple, I get this question a lot. People don't understand how we do it. And I always say, uh, I can't really see it any other way. I can't imagine it any other way. And um, working with Clay is a blessing and a curse every day. So what I would say first is your biggest challenge um, in that. And what would you, what advice would you give um, to other couples and entrepreneurs? I think a lot of people are getting a little peek um, into what the four of us deal with on a daily basis, which is working together and working uh, remotely. (laughs) So for people that are just learning how to do this, we've been doing it for a while. So maybe you could give us some advice on um, what works for you guys. Yeah, I think it's, so as we mentioned, like I've been a little bit of a part of the company since the beginning, which any marriage has that or any relationship and friendship has that you you support your friend and you like Jake would come home with designs and I'd try on bags and be like I don't understand the zip and <laughs> then I learned how to better critique things and be like this isn't functional but I would just try things on or give feedback or help with little things here and there and um, everyone has that bit of support and everything, but also there was times where I would get too emotionally involved and take Jake's side, not knowing the whole end of company or the whole big picture of the company. And then also, uh, I did start out in design and he's a designer as well. And we had a really hard time thinking what would each other do without killing each other. So I think one of the biggest, the biggest like first steps is to take the time to really think of what each person is going to do within the organization and to clearly like work on what those swim lanes are and to respect and appreciate them because that's, that's really hard to like, I would overstep by making comments or judgment or feedback in the design or the relationships and in things I don't under don't understand or don't have the right to make that decision or 
feedback and he would do the same with me for some of the things that I work on. And we just, we, we had a lot of hard, uncomfortable conversations of just what do I need to perform best and reminding uh, reminding each other that we're on the same team. And the other biggest, biggest, biggest challenge and advice is boundaries. Because when you <laughs> live and work with your husband and business partner, you're either working all the time or you're married all the time. So like when we first started working, I remember telling Jake, when I was, I interrupt, I interrupt him a lot when he's working and I've learned to dial it back, but, and set aside, we set aside specific times to actually meet and work on things. But when we first started, I interrupted him a lot and there'd be times where he would look so annoyed and so pissed off. And I would just be like, babe, it's not your wife interrupting you right now. It's your Mm -hmm. business partner. I need the answer to this monetary decision for me to finish my job. I'm sorry it inconvenienced you. You can be mad at me because I'm annoying later, but I got to get my work done. (laughs) Like, I think that it's just, it's, it's, it's remembering those things and like, you know, planning date nights and, um, asking, we, we time lock a lot. So we meet on every Monday and kind of look out the week and plan out what each other is working on and when. So we try to match um, similar tasks together. So oh, that's smart. I haven't thought yeah, to do so that. We flow states together. So like if I'm doing accounting one day, but I know I'm going to need Jake's help, that's a good day for him to be doing like data work, spreadsheets, forecasting. forecasting, like anything that we're on the same page. So then, cause it can be triggering to have a financial question when Jake's creative. That literally, that literally happened today. I think that that's such a a big point. And I think for any partnership, people working together, I think that's really, really good advice. So we have like our team meetings, but then I'm in my own world. And twice in the last two days, I've been in such a flow and Clay's asking me about like invoicing and financial stuff while I'm like building this beautiful media kit, you know, like I'm, (laughs) I'm in my creative brain and I just look at him like, you know, it's just, and I think that's another really big point is this is not my husband asking me these things. This is my business partner. And I'm a really big interrupter too, Corey. And so he actually, Clay has noise canceling headphones, Jake. Um, I highly recommend <laughs> <laughs> And when he puts them on, it's like just a visual symbol to like, yeah not bug him um, versus when they're off. It's like, you know, more of an opportunity or permission to, to approach the bench. Um, So I think that those, that's both really, really, really good advice. And I think I'm absolutely going to steal that advice because I know during the, on a Monday, what I, what it is I'm going to be working on. Like I knew today I had two hours blocked off to do this creative project. So I didn't know he was going to be working on accounting at that time. So I think you may have just up-leveled our game a little bit with that advice. <laughs> it's, I would do this whether we work together or not because yeah, um, because we have this shared calendar. We do our Monday where before we meet, we both look through our inbox. We look through the calendar, see what meetings are coming up, our projects. And then we each kind of share what we're working on and like rearrange some things. But then um, we also put in like I... I put in our shared family calendar, Corey reading at night for two hours or whatever, because 
I, I think it was a huge lesson for us in respecting each other's time and respecting each other's wants and needs at that time. So like, it could just be like, um, Jake will have a whole day where he's like this whole day I'm working on these things. So I know that I can rearrange my needs for the day before and the day after. Or we also, um, a huge thing we do is we ask permission. So say it's the weekend or we're like hanging out and just having fun and I can't get this thing off my head about work, I'll be like, I'll ask, like, is it okay if I ask you a question about work or is it okay if I talk about ethnotech? Because otherwise it was just ethnotech 110% of the time, right. all the time. And I think too, like at the beginning, that's maybe important. Um, and I think even though you love it and it's your baby, like I love our business, I love our clients. Um, but you can still grow to resent something that takes up all of your time. And we got to that big burnout breaking point about seven, eight months ago where we like had to make a serious shift. And, and I am what clay is really good at turning off. He can at six o'clock at night or five o'clock, whatever time he's done, he can shut the laptop and truly not think about it till the next day, which is, I, I just, do that. I cannot. <laughs> so I think Corey, that's a really good, yeah, I'm really going to steal a lot of that advice because, um, just asking permission, is it okay to ask this right now? Is it okay to sort of invade your space with what I'm thinking about right now? I think, I think that that's really important. And it's just like respectful communication. And I think, you know, all couples have um, experiences around communicating around connection, all of that. But when you're working with your partner and your sort of financial and like livelihood depends on being on good terms with your partner, it definitely adds, adds stress to it. And for us, I think the biggest change that we've made is one, uh, we have an office and we actually split our time. So right now I'm at the office and he's at home and that's kind of been amazing. And we were able to do that financially because we moved out of the city. So it's like making these choices that are better for work and better for marriage. We're paying exactly the same thing that we were paying to live in San Francisco, working on top of each other. Now to have a two bedroom apartment and an office, um, yeah. for less than we were paying in the city, you know? So, you know, yeah. I think it's an evolution, but I'm just so grateful and I'm meeting more and more couples. And honestly, with this COVID and with the future, I think we're going to see more couples start going into entrepreneurship, solopreneurship together. And it's, it's probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done is, uh, working with Clay. And it's why I married him, honestly. Um, because I realized that all those things that drove me crazy about him actually made our business work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, oh, there's value to this. There's value to this. But man, it's been so good talking to you guys. I really wanted to dive into mental health, Corey. I feel like I just had an epiphany. What if just you and I did a gals show all about like mental health and entrepreneurship? Because I, I feel like that deserves its whole, like a whole episode dedicated. I, I uh, would love nothing more. I, I, I'm a, a huge advocate and talk often about it. And I don't think people talk about it enough still. And I still think it's the whole, it's like, we're talking with the business stuff of greenwashing, of being careful with being 
ethical and everything. It's the same with mental health and like hashtag self-care. It's like throw a mask on it. You're fine. Like, you know, take a bubble bath. You'll be better or whatever. Like there's all these things that are just kind of being thrown around. And I don't think people um, use their authenticity enough of saying what is actually happening or what is actually going on and transpiring to get where you're getting. Like people say like, well, like my dad, my dad compliments my marriage and how hard we work and how our communication is there. And that's only because we've faced the darkness together and continue to work hard and face all these mental health and challenges. And, you know, we're opposites like you guys. And, and we have so many different things going on that it's, it's such a powerful conversation that. Yeah. I, I need to have it with you because, um, I've been trying to sort of find the right person to have it with. And then I sort of realized it. Yeah. She's, she's genius. And she, she, she coaches me and talks me off the ledge on the daily. And, uh, you know, I've had, I've had, you know, my own business coaches and, uh, therapists, but, um, I tend to be a pretty tightly wound individual and I have a lot of self guilt around not doing enough or, uh, you know, some days I'm really just not feeling it and I used to just force it. But since, you know, I'm able to vocalize those things to Corey, she's, you know, taught me a lot about, uh, giving yourself permission and also forgiveness and giving Mm -hmm. yourself time. Sometimes you do just need to unplug because when you come back at it, like you're actually at your A game because you didn't force it and slog or grind through. And so I've become a more productive person just by getting her support and wisdom. <laughs> so beautiful. You guys, oh, I'm so grateful to know you. Uh, lastly, and finally, give me all the calls to action. So how can people find you? Do you have something new coming soon? Uh, give me sort of, you know, the website, the, the, all the things, how we can find you, how we can shop, how we can support, how we can spread the, spread the word. Cool. Yeah. So I'm going to share where you can find us and stuff and you get to gush about what's coming up. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so uh, Facebook is Ethnotech Bags. Instagram is Ethnotech. Other and, way around. Uh, <laughs> other way around. Damn it. I already ruined my part of the agreement. Uh, the website is ethnotech.com. Basically, if you put in the word ethnotech, you're going to be pointed in the right direction. It's a weird word. It's ethnology and technology mixed together with some replaced letters. And it's not, you won't mix it up with anything else. Um, And if you do reach out on any of those platforms, 99% of the time you're talking to me. Which I love. I was hoping you were going to say that. And just to spell it, it's E-T-H-N-O-T-E-K. Guys, that's spelling yeah ethnotech.com that's the hub for everything and we're mostly active on instagram we do some stuff on facebook but uh facebook message there's a lot i'm pretty active on that yeah you talk to customers daily on uh, she's like the queen of customer support i always blow people's minds where i'm like by the way i'm Corey, and i run it ethnotech and they're like you can hear the like record scratch especially especially (laughs) if they come in hot that's the best part is when they're like when when, when i when i said that i meant um (laughs) So thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what's coming up? Um, could it be better timing because we're about to launch what I what I think is probably one of the most important collections we've done in years. And been one of the best experiences we've been through as a couple and as a company with this whole thing. Yeah. So it's called the the special edition Kente collection. So 
last year we we went to Ghana to uh, just work with the artisans and, and hang with the artisans, but also to source a new textile, which is the, the kente cloth, which has its roots in Ghana with the uh, Ashanti, Akan, and Awe tribes. Um, and it's like, it's this amazing textile, these really bright colors, geometric shapes, and they come in these strips. Um, they're not like wide uh, yardage, like a lot of our other fabrics. So they, you know, require a different look, a different design. And so we designed a whole collection around that uh, particular textile and the stories with it. Um, each, each product has a little label on the inside of it that describes the culture behind it. And that's gonna drop next week. So uh, we have people signing up for our or newsletter. It should be live by the time people actually hear this. It should be. Yeah, accessible. by the time you publish this, it's going to be live. Uh, that drops uh, next week. So I will uh, switch the podcast around and this will come out next Thursday. How about that? Amazing. Ooh. That's when it, That's exactly when it <laughs> drops. So Perfect. Uh, yeah, so that's, so that's coming out. And um, yeah, so also would love to mention that um, if you go to our website, you'll get a pop-up to subscribe. But we do a lot of really cool kind of, we call it the inner circle uh, newsletter. We do a lot of private stuff uh, to, with newsletter subscribers. So there's a lot of things, a lot of stories, a lot of special editions, a lot of things that we just like test out and share with newsletter subscribers because it's a bit off the radar. But we've got a cool community um, of subscribers that we that we really like to speak with on. on the regular. So yeah. um, so I would just say, yeah, ethnotech.com, you can get at everything else from there. And I'm super excited for the launch of this Kente collection. Oh, guys, congrats. That's so awesome. And for everybody listening, I highly recommend you check them out just to see um, these beautiful designs that Jake's been talking about this whole time. I remember seeing the first, I think Emery and Trevor have a lot of bags now, but one of the first bags and she's telling me the whole story and they're just so, 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 so beautiful. And the only reason why I haven't ordered one is because I have total decision paralysis around which one to get <laughs> and I want everything. So I'm just so excited to know you guys. And Corey, let's schedule a, a follow-up episode to this around mental health and entrepreneurship as soon as possible. And Jake, it's so awesome to talk to you guys. I hope to hug you again in person one day. We f I feel farther away than ever, but um, thank God for technology. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so grateful to know you. Thank you yeah. for having a platform for this community because yeah. I watched Jake for five, six years just sit isolated in the kitchen running his business without having any of this kind of support and, and you know, like compassion from mutual people. And it's really helpful to listen to, to other people's pains and growing yeah. pains and successes. And, and thank you for providing a platform for people to do that. Exactly. Yes, thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for saying that. Uh, someone reached out to me recently and they're like, I think you should uh, change the title of your podcast from the Authentic Audience Podcast to the Fair Trade Podcast because it's all <laughs> you talk about. And it's definitely a vibe that I'm on and I am grateful that people are picking up on that. So to all my listeners, thank you for being here. You're who actually makes this possible. And thank you for supporting the amazing guests I have on this show. And until next time, keep growing. Bye.